Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. It is just after 8 o'clock in the UK, which means just after 3 o'clock at Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta, where we've just gone red flag for the Fox Factory 120 practice first session for the IMSA Michelin Pilot Challenge. It is Ryan Hardwick on top of the pile at the moment for the portion number 16 of Wright Motorsport, ahead of the BMW of Turner Motorsport and Dylan McAvern in second. Alan Brynjolfsson for Aston Martin in the Vault Racing number seven is in third position. And we think the red flag is uh, an off at turn seven. Rory van der Sturt in the number 19 is off the track at the moment. That's just to prove that we're live. Meantime, up in London, and we will have uh, extensive live coverage of all of the action for Mission and Raceway Road Atlanta this week. Up in London, our executive producer is Tim Gray, and on a packed show tonight, we have what, Tim? We have all the usual features, John, including the news from both sides of the Atlantic and around the world. Uh, we Excellent. will be talking to the Team USA scholarship winners that we didn't get around to talking to last week. They've been action- they were a bit busy. They've been in action again since then and uh, winning as well. We'll be joined by Alex Lynn as our big interview this week. Uh, plus, we have a preview of this weekend's action at uh, Road Atlanta and at Anglesey for the Race of Remembrance. And Nick Damon will be here with his Formula 1 team-by-team review of the Gran Premio de Mexico. Grand Premio ah, ah, ah. Ciudad de Mexico City. It was the Mexico City Grand Prix. They changed the name this year. Uh, hello to Only Neil Bourne. Who's, yeah. Uh, Neil Bourne, who's listening live for the first time in a while from Washington in the uh, in the Premier Inn up there. Uh, that's, that's Washington, formerly County Durham, the original Washington, CD.DC. Um, uh, hello to John Bondenny. Uh, who's listening in tonight? Uh, P Mac, Peter Mackay is listening in as well this evening. Blur Fiend is uh, flying to Atlanta during the show. He's going to train at Porsche HQ and he'll be doing skill testing uh, on Porsches. Then he's heading to Road Atlanta on Saturday for the race. Excellent stuff. And I believe he's driving a Cayman GT4 down there. Um, up there, I suppose. Um, which, interestingly, is what we've been running around in this week in a real-world road test of that four-litre six-cylinder coming shortly. Uh, also listening in tonight, and by the way, it's at Spectatainment if you want to get in touch with us. Uh, we've got uh, Rob Chalmers, who's listening. Uh, we have got 
Uh, who else? Chris Smith listening live tonight. Can't wait for Petit this weekend. Seems like ages since an IMSA event. And we booked everything for Daytona in January. We'll be at the Raw on the previous Sunday as well. Uh, thank you, Chris, for uh, being in. Uh, delayed attendance. Having a team dinner, says Right Turn Lover. Uh, weird thing seeing people face to face. I've only seen on screens for 20 months. But I will join in live later. Gerasimos, uh, Jerry, is tuned in. Already set up. Uh, that looks like on the top of five, maybe, at Road Atlanta. Greek flag there. Uh, so she should be able to spot that fairly easily. Uh, hello to Brody, who's studying uh, jet engines for another exam. Uh, 14 down now and just three to go. Good luck, mate. Uh, hello to uh, Kevin Payne. Looking forward to hearing from the uh, Team USA guys. Uh, Patrick Ardron listening in tonight. Michael Denny listening live for the first time in ages. He's on his road trip home, which is Atlanta, Georgia. He says, I wish it was in a Porsche, but it's just a rental Honda. But of course, Michael, rentals are the fastest things on the road. Uh, let's go mental. It's a rental. Uh, Randy Brown listening tonight. Ian McCarthy having breakfast with us tomorrow. Hello to the team and the collective. Uh, oh, nice looking breakfast for you there, Ian. Uh, Sergeant Stadenko, uh, looking, um, uh, listening in tonight, um, says uh, he really enjoyed Pascal Vassal on last week. Dave Monks, he's extremely busy at the moment, uh, but in the car on the way home by the time you read this out and you've got started. Otter FR, uh, off for an afternoon of TLC for the CB600 Hornet and the CB750. <gasps> CB750. Old kettle, how lovely. Alexander Alken uh, listening in tonight. Uh, home late from Shush uh, Projects and finishing off a spag ball before MWM. Victor Ellis listening live while waiting on the Ellis girls to get out of lacrosse cheerleading practice. Stoked for their first PLM ever. And uh, it's Victor's first since BC, before his cancer. Fully healthy and ready to head to the track tomorrow. Only thing missing is your all. You'll still be able to hear us on the PA. We'll be there for you and the uh, on the FM as well. And glad to hear that your health's much better. Marcel Duke, live in the car, just changed tyres and cleaning it downstairs in the garage now. Marcel, good luck to you, mate. Ted the Toy Man, listening for t- from tomorrow in Australia, listening uh, live. Mark Jackson, mixer testing while listening to Midweek Motorsport, building up a rather nice uh, sound rack there. He's got his finger on the favourite for Nick Damon's hooray, of course. Jack Martin is starting work with uh, Midweek Motorsport. He's down under as well. Jill's out the bridge. No airfares tonight. Isolating in the home studio for six more days. Sorry to hear that, Jules. Uh, uh, Kevin Payne listening uh, as well as Chris Suku and Stiggy Marley and James O'Donnell as well. Looking forward to everyone's views and the shenanigans of Bahrain. And finally, Esther, uh, listening in because he's going to be on the show later so I hope he's ready to pick the phone up Andre Castro, Jonas Uncle and Elia Filipponi uh, starting off with and just to prove we're live the top time is with no other country yes I should have done that, you're right uh, Doug Amner with wine gums this week, brilliant stuff shuffle your papers Tim let's have the top story oh really is that all the listeners we've got well, I just 
I rattled through them really quickly. You did. I'd spec your team and if you, you want to join us. On the bed. Normally you no, I know that, but we've got a, we've got a lot to fit in tonight. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. So, paper shuffled. What is your top story tonight, Tim Gray? Well, first of all, I'd like to introduce Nick Damon. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. Good evening, everybody out there in Listener Listen Land. Listener Land. Listener Land. Radioville. Now then. <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> That's what he used to call it, didn't he? Oh. Uh, Radio World. So, uh, we're going to start with some Formula One. You sound like you've gone underwater with Kaiparina again for a moment there. Well, who can tell there? Over modding, probably love. No, I, I think I know what it is. I'll take I'll take the bed down a little bit, so it's uh, it's not compromising your sound, love. I'll get uh, the bed the completely top? because we need to play a different bit of music. All right, good. London's calling. That's those Clash Brothers. Nod off. <laughs> Play this for all you truggers out London's there. London's burning, isn't it? The actual song. London Calling is the song. London Calling, sorry, no. Oh, Brain's dead, Mike, but you say I can't remember. London Calling it. Oh, we've lost him. Uh, Nick, no, I'm rather, sorry. Uh, right, Plans why are you playing The Clash then? Because Exciting Plastic built a new Formula One circuit in London over to an advanced stage and have the backing of the mayor. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, according to uh, a report in the Daily Mail, the US investment firm 777 Partners and an unnamed UK sports group are looking to build a brand new complex at the Royal Docks in Newham. Whoa! This is the London mayor who has done everything to get, get rid of um, public, public yeah. uh, and personal mobility solutions, really. Not at all. Yeah. He just if wants uh, to get rid of pollution. <laughs> Yeah, right, uh, good luck with that. This race will be added to the calendar in addition to the current British Grand Prix at Silverstone. Founder no. of 777 Partners, Josh Wander, said, We're hopeful that it's coming. We're hugely excited about it. There'll be an electric atmosphere as the greatest athletes in the world, along with an international fan base and the world's largest companies and sponsors, descend on the docks for race weekend. Most importantly, we'll build a world-class sports and entertainment complex that can serve the community year-round and revitalise the surrounding areas. It's a type of thing you really can't Stop. quantify until it what, actually happens. Exactly, exactly what I was going to say. Did, have they just lifted that from the Olympic bid for Stratford? Um, yeah. Let's, and, it, and in five years' time, um, will West Ham want to move to, to there as well? I, I mean... <laughs> this is a massive fishing expedition. This 777 partners just kind of throwing something up. Yes, they've probably got Sadiq Khan to say he'd back it, but um, Mr. Khan is an elected official, so there's no guarantee he'll be there. And he hasn't been very vehicle friendly prior to this. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's outside it's, the congestion it, charging zone. In, it's in the also, clean it's zone also in the reports in the Daily Mail, which if you don't remember, is, is, is a. Is, all right. Is the Daily Mail, remember, the Mail Online, are officially classed as fake news by all the independent <laughs> assessors of news. So, um, yeah. And I think it's, it's not going to happen. 
Umesh Desai, the London Assembly member for City and East, said it's about opening up East London. There's so much potential, and that's why we want. That's why Formula One wants to be involved. They believe in us, and we believe in them. It's a two-way partnership. Does he know what he's talking about? No, clearly not. Uh, the th- you know what's really annoying about this, and I, I listen. I accept that we're a global. Um, uh, a, a global program, and and this is very very much a UK uh, story. But this is going to be all over the UK press in the next few days without anybody doing any due diligence. Uh, much is the same as they did with electric vehicles, um, seeing how great um, electric vehicles were for British British firm MG and. Jaguar, when in, <laughs> yeah. when British firm MG don't build any cars in the UK because they import them from China because it's they still assemble of... them in the UK. Nope. Yep. Mm, don't think so. They might put the wheels on. They don't even come in knockdown kits anymore now. They put the, and of course Jaguar Land Rover are owned by an Indian conglomerate. But you know, I, it, it's just going to take up. It's just going to take oxygen out of. A discussion, a proper, any proper discussion about motorsport in the UK. What does Christian Horner have to say about it? It's all Yuki Tsunoda's fault, and it won't happen because of Yuki Tsunoda, and Yuki Tsunoda's an idiot. Oh, wrong, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, he'll, I, did he say he hasn't been told by Helmut what to say yet? Uh, he said it would, it, it will be fantastic. <laughs> the responsible adult said, uh, they obviously rang up the London mayor and said, do you think this is a good idea? And he said, well, in theory, yes. And that's the quote they've got. Yeah. <laughs> what are the quotes have I was, got? I was, the, only, the only thing I'm wondering about is, I'm, I, I'm thinking about this, though, of course, given the fact that um, you know, we, at the moment the, the, the news is mired with political sleaze within, within mm. Great Britain, we are becoming far more attracted to F1 as a host venue. I did not fear them down. Honestly, he did just disappear <laughs> when he said that. So, Mi five. <laughs> well, let's let's not let's not forget the Bernie effect, eh? And brown mm. envelopes full of millions of dollers. Yeah. If you give me cash, I'll give you a race. Do you want to hear it's what Toto million. had to say about it? Yes, we do want to hear what Toto. Racing in London will top great. everything. Really? Mm-hmm. Rental quotes. I assume this is during some open conversations at a press conference, um, questions from the floor uh, in Brazil. Uh, possibly. Or and also, why, why on earth? Not, 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 yeah, I'm British, and it's, it's fantastic, but why would a race round the Docklands top Monaco? Well, The indeed. Docklands ain't glamorous, whatever I mean, it is. It might be wider and therefore allow more overtaking. Yeah. Well, let's not get obsessed with that, Have shall we? we? I'm on, more bad. On, on this release, do you not like got, overtaking. On, I'm a purist. Tim, on on this, Tim, on this release, is there a really lovely um, Photoshop picture that shows a Formula One car in front of either Buckingham Palace, the House of Parliament, um, particularly the Clock Tower, or any other recognisable London landmarks? No, which there are no recognisable London landmarks in in this story. There is right. a picture of uh, Lewis Hamilton crowd surfing at Silverstone. Right. Excellent. And there's a picture of some fans at Silverstone. Is there a piece of Doctor's Light Railway? There isn't. Although that you is get a great view of the going. track from it. Mm. Oh, that'll be free. That, that, they'll, have to, they'll have to shut that down, won't they? Mm-hmm. They're going to have people having free views. 
it's, 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 it's as the, Nick said, it's, it's, it's the way it's they're going to get people through exhibition. the circuit. It's the only way they're going to be able to get. Yes, because um, uh, the the uh, proposal is that the event will be completely car free. Well, that's going to ruin the race, isn't it? <laughs> however, <laughs> however, it's two thousand five. There's no cars. In fairness, in fairness, Haas have already signed up to it because they would get a better result. Good point. Shall we move on? Uh, you mentioned uh, Christian Horner and Yuki Tsunoda earlier. Tell us what happened there quickly, Nick. Well, it, it, actually, that would actually have worked really, really well because uh, in London, because of course, what did what did uh, Christian Horner do? He threw Yuki Tsunoda under a bus, but a big red one. <laughs> and unfortunately, Yuki, uh, another one coming along straight along afterwards, in the form of Herbert Marco bus. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Uh, I think you know. People, I, I, there was a comment that I am anti-Red Bull or pro-Mercedes. I am not. I am completely neutral on Mercedes and Red Bull. I'm completely neutral on Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. But I absolutely think that Marco and Horner are ca- a cancer that needs to be cut out of F1. Uh, and we'll have more on the uh, Mexican Grand Prix, the Grand Prix of Mexico City, in F1 team by team. Uh, the only, it's the only bit of Formula One you need to, to listen to. Because it's everything that's good and bad about Formula One distilled, <laughs> distilled uh, down by Nick Damon and Tim Gray. And that'll be in the second half of the programme. Any more so, F1 news? Oh, yes. Because oh, uh, we, within the next <laughs> month, Audi and Porsche will decide their Formula One futures. Says who? I don't understand. All right. Let me, let me get this let me get clear with you. I think Audi and Porsche coming in um, is great. Uh, but this is a, a, a something that will not happen until 2026. So it's four and a bit years late. Uh, no, it will happen then because they'll come in at the start of an engine cycle. They're not going to be a year late. Um, it's not bringing anything new to the party because they will just be buying up Red Bull, Red Bull's new engine manufacturing plant. So no, no one new is turning up. It's just a purchasing out. They're then going to have to make the same engine and very intelligently badge engineer it twice. Not a problem with that. And the only question really is who gets the Audi version or the Porsche version. And, it, and this, is, that, pure, this is purely as engine suppliers, as, as engine well, this, names. For, yeah. for Porsche, no yes, no but Audi are going to buy McLaren, apparently. <laughs> yeah. This is the problem again. As we, you know, we keep saying, if you wanted to buy an F1 team, the time was two years ago. Correct. When they were, it's a fire sale and they were worth nothing. Everybody knows these teams are going worth an absolute fortune in three years. So you're going to have to pay the absolute fortune because none of them are, none of them are in cash flow problems either at the moment. So there's no, there's no, it, it's, it's lovely. And yes, let's write these things down. But do you really think Audi are going to put their hand in their pocket for 700 to a billion dollars to buy a McLaren? No. No, it's not going to happen. It, it, it makes it, it's far more sensible to set up their own team. And I'm not sure they they want to do that now or in four they years' time. They are worried about the level of commitment to set a team up. Yeah. It's it they they have they have a massive manufacturer worry about it because of all the things that happened in 2009, um, and and that. So yeah, I mean I think I think we can we can have a long conversation about this because it's going to be running and running for four and a bit years. Yeah, it's like it's like waiting for deep thought, isn't it, mm-hmm. to turn out yeah. the answer to life, the universe. 
and everything. Uh, Dave Alcock said, I just had to check it wasn't April the 1st. The hypocrisy here is literally mind-blowing. A city which has done everything to stop car usage wants to hold an <laughs> F1 race and eradicate fans using cars. The opportunism to grab cash and prestige is shocking. David, come on. Really? This is politicians you're talking about. Also, can I make a point? The people who are still striving to make money out of this are the promoters. Yeah, absolutely right. Funny, I'll, I'll tell you a story off air about that next time I see you. Uh, Nick, uh, any more F1 news, yes. Tim? Yes, who's headhunting Oscar Schnaffnauer? Oscar Schnaffnauer? You mean, it's Oscar? Uh, it isn't, is it? It's Otmar. Otmar, I was going to say, who's I think, I think it's someone who wants a massive score in Scrabble. Uh, somebody who's going to make an alternative version, drive, uh, drive faster to survive or something like that, and he's going to be the star of that. They want to make is him it, a game uh, show host. They want to make him a team principal, and it's Alpine. Really? Oh, right. So they are, they are the Davide de Brivio thing is still ticking along. And is, is it Marshawn? Is the other guy? Yes. Um, yeah, they've got... Yeah. Really? Okay. I'm not sure he'd be my first choice, but there we go. Uh, who's not going to be allowed onto the grid at Formula One races? Anybody. Anybody. Bodyguards. Bodyguards Kevin correct. Costner's out. Kevin Costner no longer allowed on F1. Very good. Exclusive. I like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 really, it's really weird. Martin Brundle has been doing, yeah, obviously his first one back, but he's been doing that grid walk for, you know, well, since they, they dot since they took over, was it 96? No, 97. So he's been doing it for 25 years or whatever it may be. And, you know, he has a, he has a fantastic interview where you know, I can think of nothing better than to get turned down by a major star and, and have something stupid said to him, my bodyguard. It's TV gold. It's not a car crash. It's TV gold. You know? Um, and then they go, oh, we're kind of bodyguards and they're being rude and they've got to talk to people. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, fine. But it's that's the way it's always been. It says more about the individuals than anything else. Martin, uh, Martin's never asked for any changes. He was no. just doing his job. He doesn't... He doesn't actually really care when anybody uh, talks to him. He'll he'll try very hard to get a, a, a film a film title in or a song title or some lyrics in if it's if it's relevant. And whether they talk back to him, he doesn't care or not. And he said that he said that publicly. So yeah, I mean, it's a non-story. The, Move on. Yeah. Well. Yeah. But you say that it's got a huge amount of column inches, John. Um, it's the Brundle reason. I'm thinking. Well, you know, it's. No, move on. Any ideas? No. No. One for Declan. Uh, A Monaco-style Grand Prix in Bournemouth will be the thing that opens the door to a world that Dorset needs to be in. Is that what it was? By the fall, yeah. I'm sorry? A Grand <laughs> Prix a Grand Prix in Bournemouth. Do you know what, though? I, I, I quite like the idea. Of, I, I like that better than Docklands in London. A gra- well, the, Grand, the Grand Prix de Bournemouth. It would need to be, it would need to be the classic cars, wouldn't it, given the average age there? It's actually going to be a Formula E, e Prix. In Bournemouth? Yes. Just because they've got, they, they, because there's the um, huge wind what's farm. What's that? What's the? I forgot what it's extreme. There's extreme e down there, isn't there? In Dorset. Uh, yeah. Couple of weeks. That's the Jurassic. Uh, the, e, the, uh, Jurassic the Jurassic yeah. Park yeah. X-Pre. 
Yeah. Yes. My, my um, money's on the Velociraptor next year. Apparently, only because only because England's paying for it though. <laughs> Hang on. Oh, anyway, it's, yeah. By the way, that, I'd like to point out that you know I I didn't when it comes to extreme me I didn't I didn't believe it could disappear from consciousness as quickly as it has. No. Have there been more races? <laughs> Who knows? No. They they've all been uh, changed. Apparently, venue there's and a date. lot of money. Because you apparently can't get to South a... America, apparently. Ah, uh, yes, of course. Apparently, uh, there's a lot of money sloshing around in Bournemouth. There very much yeah, is. In the form of wheels, mainly. All right, come on, let's move on. This We're selling it to the British Monaco, said uh, Tony Williams of Wessex Entrepreneurs. Uh, the only way you can right. protect jobs is to have a vibrant local economy, which is where the E-Grand Prix focuses itself. It will be a centre for sustainability. The county's been in decline for the last few years. We're trying to make the quantum leap back, using Bournemouth as a gateway, and Formula E as the flag to wave to the world to help rejuvenate the rest of Dorset. Hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, fine. Good luck to them. Um, I can't see it being taken away from um, the XL Arena to go to Bournemouth somehow. Uh Using the words quantum leap in the uh, week that uh, Dean, Dean Stockwell, Stockwell died. I can't believe how old he was. 85. He was a child star. Yeah, he was. It, not not when he quantum was leap he wasn't. He would have been not almost anyway. 60 when he's filming that. Look, he is the man who danced with Gene Kelly and Frank Sinatra as a child and anchors away. That is literally, that is... Just getting better that than that, is, does it? You can't peak above that. No, nope, it's all downhill from that. Quantum leap, it was great. Yeah. Only, only ran for, I think, three and a half years, Quantum Leap. It seems to have been yeah, on forever. In fact, yeah, it'll be on no. a channel somewhere now. Anyway, we've got off. Thank goodness we've stopped talking about Bournemouth. Can we move on? <laughs> from, from what Sam Bird has to say about this. I love Bournemouth. Oh, Ever man. since I was a young boy, I've always wanted to race a Formula E at Bournemouth. That's very close. Yeah. I think Bournemouth has every opportunity to put on a fantastic spectacle with Formula E. We've got the infrastructure. Everybody in, Bo- in Bournemouth puts on fantastic spectacles. It's the only way they can hey. see anything. Bournemouth has <laughs> everything to make it happen. Now it's getting it over the line. I've seen the initial draft of the track. I need to walk it to understand it a bit more. But it looks like it has everything. High-speed corners, chicanes, overtaking opportunities. London is supposed to be my home race, but there'd be no home race like Bournemouth. What? He was Sam born in Bird, wasn't he? He was, but he was born in Pearl and Dorset. Uh, Sam oh, Bird, yeah, sponsored okay. by Visit Bournemouth. Um, <laughs> I think. Follow the I buddy. think you're, what you're missing here is this is not just about Bournemouth; it's about the whole of Dorset. So this oh, is of course, Visit Dorset, right. it's not, visit not Dorset. Visit Bournemouth. All right. Well, okay. And uh, Shall as we he mo- points out, yes, Sam Bird is being paid as a consultant to this. Yes. She sussed that out before. Uh, let's let's move let's move on to some visit Cayman Islands uh, sports car <laughs> yes, news because I've got another bit of music for that. Have you? Yes. Okay, fire away. Hang on. Going for gold because forty-seven drivers are going to be gold next year that are currently silvers. Yes. And they include Oliver Askew, Garrett Grist, Aaron Tielitz, and lots more. We'll just let that fade out, Jenny, in the background so we, so we can hear what Tim's saying. Alex Pillow, <laughs> Dylan Pereira, Jackson Evans. Well, giving Alex, giving Alex Pillow's just um, one IndyCar championship this year, I don't think that's unreasonable. 
No, Pedro Awards have been major gold I, as well. And Trent Hinman and Dennis Hauger, Formula 3 champion. And uh, Iantian Guven. Some, uh, so, some of those people are, are, are paid by manufacturers. Shit, Adam is with us. Hello, Shay. Hello. You've mentioned uh, that Jan Holin's on the list, Shay. Yes, Jan is one of those drivers who's being bumped from silver to gold. And as a matter of fact, all of Wright Motorsports' driver lineup will be listed as professional right. as of next year. Mm. Uh, Rahel Frey, she's going to be gold. Yes. Austin Sindrick. She's been very good for, for a few years, though. She's been on the down low. Uh, Austin's so, just finished yep. second in the Xfinity Championship the year after winning it. Yep, makes sense. Uh, Ryu Tamita, Japanese driver. Jeff Westfall, he's uh, going to be gold. Yeah. And there's a big one, actually, who just got downgraded from silver to bronze. Tim, did you see this one? I did see that uh, there were lots of people going from silver to bronze, but I didn't bother to write them down. Uh, Christina Nielsen Ooh. is the big one uh, I'm thinking about. Right, okay. That makes her very attractive for a Lamar ride. Yeah, mm. very much so. Now, what we've got to say here is... The, none of these are arbitrary. There are a set no. of rules and regulations. Um, and as I've said many times before, you can argue till the cows come home or don't that uh, one championship is weighted more than another, but it is absolutely transparent. You can apply to have your uh, rating looked at again if you think, or, or anybody's rating looked at again if you think it's wrong. Um, but if you've won championships, if you have got fastest laps in championships, if you've got pole positions in championships, plus your age, you feed all that into deep thought again and rather quicker than the seven and a half million years that it took to work out the uh, answer to life, the universe and everything. It spits out an answer. And basically, it's just an if then. It's a spreadsheet. Mm effectively. Manu Collard, one of the people who's been downgraded due to being too old correct? Uh, for next year. Two new Platinums, and only two new right. Platinums, and they are well, Antonio, the few. Sorry, go on. Antonio Fuoco yep. and Jules Gounon. Yep. There are so yep. few manufacturers that the, the criteria for, for Platinum is that you are a paid um, manufacturer driver in a category above LMP2, isn't it? Which only leaves hypercar nowadays. Mm. I think it's still applicable to GT cars, though, John. Ah, yes, sorry. Yes, absolutely. You're absolutely right. So in, if you're in the pro class of GT and played by a manufacturer, uh, if you're in the, the GT class and you're played by a manufacturer, it's basically if you've got a manufacturer contract. Yes. Yeah. Um, so... You know, they'll they'll be the usual grinding and gnashing of teeth and wailing and mourning by racing drivers who uh, have been upgraded. Particularly, you've been. Oh, I've just spotted another one who's become a platinum, as I missed before. Who? Dries Van Tour. Oh, okay. Well, mm. works driver for Audi, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Well, yes. So, you know, I'm driving in the DTM. So, you know. All, all these guys, uh, you know, and ladies have been making good money. Otherwise, they, they wouldn't have been uh, upgraded. Uh, we've got cars back on track at Road Atlanta. 
really weird acoustics in the uh, the Michelin Tower on the start finish line. That's Porsche Carrera <laughs> Cup North America presented by Visit Cayman. As we're in the Visit Cayman Sports Car News, uh, what next? On to a special programme that's on after us tonight. Tom. Oh, how lovely! It's almost as if we'd planned that. Well, you didn't. No, <laughs> no, that's what I mean. It's almost as if we planned that. Porsche's out on track, and our special programme at ten o'clock tonight is what, Tim? It's so you think you know about Porsche. <laughs> uh, this uh, is a, a bit of fun that we it's had a, with it's the a game show. Uh, sort of. And yet it's, it's one a... that I didn't write because Shay Adam came up with most of these questions, I believe. Um, uh, the, the concept um, was uh, originally came up with by me, believe it or not, and I've run it past the responsible adult and... Uh, she quite liked it and wrote the screenplay. And uh, then we had this technical consultant. <laughs> she came in and wrote a load of questions. We had to throw out the first 125 because they were all about Harry Potter. Uh, and then we did get... Sorry, <laughs> Shay, I'm only kidding. Um, and then we did get some uh, questions about Porsche and I added a couple of bits and pieces in as well. Basically, the three championship contenders in Porsche Carrera Cup North America presented by Visit Cayman Islands uh, will join us after 10 o'clock tonight uh, once this session uh, has finished we'll play that out for you uh, so that's uh, championship leader Sebastian Prio plus Kai Van Berlo and Parker Thompson uh, they will be talking about their season so far their hopes for the weekend and indeed uh, they will be battling it out to find out if we can separate them if we can't untrap them by their port knowledge of Porsche history and they are in Order, uh, actually not quite, it's Seb from Parker, from Kai Van Berlo at the moment, from Sebastian Carrazzo in fourth position in first qualifying. Uh, that's the top four in PCCNA. Ten o'clock tonight, don't miss that. Uh, Tim, more sports car news or would you like to move on? I was going to actually say, we were going to do all the sports car news in one go, but actually right. what I'd like to do instead is... Uh, change things around a bit and okay. preview something that's coming up this weekend now uh, because it's this year's race of remembrance uh, over the weekend uh, taking place in Anglesey once more uh, and of course live coverage on RS1 on Friday, Saturday and Sunday with Paul Truswell uh, I believe is that right John? It is that time of the year again and delighted to say that once again Radio Show Limited are involved with the Mission Motorsport Race of Remembrance. Jim Cameron is on the phone. Uh, bigger, better, brighter, scarier and in some ways slightly more ridiculous events going on this weekend, Jim. How's it, how's it all looking? Oh, you, you've heard about our plans for biathlon of foolishness then this year. Yes, so uh, that intrigues me. A, a submarine off the coast of uh, off the coast of Anglesey would be perfect. Um, uh, it, good evening. Hi. Um, yeah. No. It's uh, it's that time of year again as we roll in towards race of remembrance. I mean, last year was we were just going into I forget which lockdown it was, but oh my god, you know it was it was. Strange times and unable to run a, a race in, in Anglesey or anywhere else. We ended up doing that um, wonderful 
drive-in service of remembrance. We streamed it all. And, and I think in the process, we kind of learned that I think it's always been, we've always worried that Race of Remembrance would outgrow Anglesey. Um, and to be honest, uh, it, it has. Um, but what it's not meant is what we'd all assumed is that it would leave Anglesey and, and go and establish itself uh, at, a, at a different circuit. Um, what, what we've done is gone multi-venue. So the, the great success of the online racing last year will be replicated this year. There'll be an online race of remembrance again. We're just pushing details out of that about that now for people to be able to join in online. Um, uh, we've got a karting race of remembrance for the first time. We've got, we've got 20 teams competing uh, on Sunday morning down at, uh, at Thruxton on the, uh, on the karting circuit there. And again, that will be interrupted by a service of remembrance. We've got a load of, I think, six service teams competing in that. Um, uh, there's some really lovely stuff that's going on down at Brands Hatch. And I think, it, one of the things we've learned about remembrance is that it's, you know, it, it's not just sort of thinking about the trenches, that, that sort of moment of mindfulness where we all come together. Motorsport's been through some tough times over the course of the, the last two years, and, and particularly Brands Hatch is a venue. I know the C1 club racers under Robin Welsh are raising money for us on the Saturday as they're racing down at Brands Hatch, and of course they had that tragedy earlier this year. Uh, at Snetterton, and I think it's going to be quite a poignant moment at Brands Hatch as we remember, you know, amongst others, the Marshal who gave the fire earlier, earlier this year. Um, but then Anglesey, um, 53 teams on the grid. <laughs> John, it's going to be absolutely it, mad. That's um, as many uh, as you can have, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't think there's this, that is track license limit, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think the, well, of course, the, the track is, is, uh, registered for a certain number of cars on it, and then you can extend that depending on uh, length of the race, and, and endurance gives you an extra 20% that you can put on top. Obviously, we're running the longest format at Anglesey there, but then you've got the complications of the fact it's night time and, uh, and all of the rest of it to kind of go with it. So depending on your interpretation of the rules, whether you round up or round down, Motorsport UK have been fantastic, and um, uh, BRSCC, but I really need to mention, you know, the committee, Drew Furlong, who's, who's given his time, so much time over the years to this, both um, uh, he, he, through Bark and through BRSCC, and he's, he now heads up our committee helping to pull the, the mechanics of the race together. They've done an amazing job for 53 cars starting that race. And as you know, you know, they run the first three quarters of an hour in the dusk, basically, and from, from then on into the night, it's, uh, it's in the dark, which is kind of fun considering some of the beginners that we've got that we've got who are ah, doing it still one of my favorite still one of my favorite events jim uh, and we'll of course be covering that uh, on uh, saturday and sunday uh, with some uh, vision as well as sound paul truswell will be uh, heading up the team uh, on the island a serious question here jim um yeah. race remembrance um does it still does it still have the same raison d'etre as it ever did, or, or has it has it moved on? What is what is the point of of, of race of remembrance nowadays? And I and I say that not in a detrimental way for, for clarity for people. Well, I think we first we first launched the first one in two thousand and fourteen, um, and as a small military charity. Uh, you know, setting out to run a, an endurance race, including in the dark, at Anglesey in November was, was a ridiculous idea. And I always maintain, I mean, you know, that was the most 
ludicrous of ideas. It felt like Guernsey launching a space program at the time. Um, so ambitious it was. Um, but when I stood there for the first time, um, you know, uh, alongside you, John, and yeah. and we had lads and lasses who had avoided any form of remembrance, uh, any form of church service and things like that, really, since their military service, because the last thing they would have seen would be a compatriot uh, under a flag going into the back of an aircraft in, in Bastion. Um, and seeing them put their berries back on and pin the medals back on and, and support each other, I, I realized at that point, I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is amazing. And it's also uplifting yes. uniquely as well. It's a wonderful way of recognizing and remembering and celebrating as well. Um, but it has kind of grown. Those pictures of the pit lane and the crowds there, you know, the sort of 600 people. Yeah, you've got the front ranks and all of the rest of it and the very obvious sort of ones with our guys. But, but it's that moment of mindfulness where everybody comes together. And I think we've all, we've all been through a really strange time over the last couple of years. And you just don't get that moment of silence in anything else. And to do it on the falling notes of a bugle um, with the sun beating on your back, because of course that's what always happens. Um, of course. And, uh, and the sound of the waves on the, on the cliffs below, it is, it is quite unique and extraordinary. And it means a lot to a lot of people. Oh. The Racers Remembrance has grown. The more that we can do across that weekend for UK motorsport, and Motorsport UK have been wonderful at kind of leaning into this as well, the more things that we can do across that weekend. So if you're part of that British motorsport community and you're doing something on that weekend, then firstly, support the Poppy Appeal. The Royal British Legion's work goes on throughout the year and is important. Um, mark the silence at 11 o'clock. Do your best to do that. And of course, tomorrow, a lot of workplaces will do that for the 11th, yes. the 11th on, on Thursday itself. Uh, and, uh, and do something to, to try and support, you know, your sports service charity, the, the Forces Motorsport Charity, and through that, your ROR appeal. We just ask that people do something, you know, take, take themselves out of their comfort zone, bake a cake, do something to raise a bit of money and help us to prop up the rest of the year. And, of course, things like the biathlon of foolishness are a ridiculous way for us to kind of promote people to do that. I think we're predicting balmy conditions, though, this year. I'm packing sunblock. I love your enthusiasm. I really do, Jim. I, I, the, in terms of raising awareness as well as, as raising funds, and fundraising also has been difficult in the last couple of years. So what we're seeing is uh, Race of Remembrance still has its place right at the very centre of of uh, of uh, what Mission Motorsport uh, does in terms of showcasing everything. But Mission Motorsport itself has changed, Jim. And give us some of the numbers of, of people that you've helped, of veterans that have gone through Mission Motorsport and benefited. You call them beneficiaries, and that's, a, I think, a, a perfect description. And I've, I've been honoured to be involved in some of the things you've did and ha- done and have, have chats with these uh, ladies and gentlemen. All heroes, as far as I'm concerned. Um, how many people now have been through the doors of Mission Motorsport and have had their lives touched by Mission Motorsport and I would say uh, have had their lives enhanced and changed by Mission Motorsport for now real jobs, real careers, real life-giving affirmation? Well, I, 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 we... We're really identified with our, our work with those who are wounded, injured, and sick. And we've had now more than 6,000 r- 
medically discharged um, guys and girls from all three services have come through and been touched by a sporting program somewhere, whether it's been go-karting in their local town or whether it's been one of the big headline events, a Goodwood, a Silverstone, a national transition event, or a piece of work that takes them all the way through something like Race of Remembrance. But the programs that we run in industry are there for all service leaders and their families. They're there for the armed forces community in the broadest sense. So this year, I mean, coming out of COVID, but we've seen Jaguar Land Rover re-sign the armed forces government, re-certified as a gold award holder for the employer recognition scheme, which is the MOD's way of recognizing companies that are doing things for the armed forces community. Stellantis signing, which is that huge motor group encompassing what was PSA and also Fiat groups, 14 brands in total underneath that. One in four of all cars sold in Europe signed the armed forces covenant earlier on this year and are making training opportunities free for service leaders, veterans and their families who are coming through our program. And that, that, that is already putting people into jobs. There's online courses which spouses have done and then been able to walk into their local dealership and say, I have got my X brand Peugeot customer service qualification and being offered a job on the spot. And that sort of thing is changing people's lives across the country. And the, the big headliners, you know, the Jaguar Land Rover in their pomp, we put a thousand people into work in between 2013, sorry, 2015, just after the first Invictus Games in 2019. Um, they're hiring again where there's a load of work that we're doing, helping people put into jobs there into Aston Martin as an example at the moment. There's some really exciting companies like Arrival springing up in the Midlands. Uh, but keep your eyes on Lotus. My goodness, that exciting times to be around companies like that. And I'll finish off by thanking you uh, and your hard-working team, um, who are very hard-working. Yeah, uh, they are. And, and particularly uh, this year with more events to do. Just a, just a thought uh, here, and again, not a criticism, absolutely asking the question. Um, mm. How... How important for you and for the team is it to pick the right additional events to do um, so that you get the right mix and also that you don't distract from Race of Remembrance at Anglesey? Uh, Anglesey, yeah, absolutely. Um, my focus this year is totally on Anglesey. Um, uh, so I, um, I'll be at a Remembrance service elsewhere in the UK there's a wonderful, wonderful narrative around a third generation poppy car. So we did that first one was that amazing Mark IV MX-5. The next one then was, was the beautiful Jaguar, including the one that was on the side of the building at Castle Brom that had the words of the poem in Flanders Fields and was totally reflective and everybody adored it. We're, we're unveiling a third generation poppy car. It will be the safety car for Race of Remembrance. I can't talk about it today, which is driving me nuts. But tomorrow it all becomes a lot more easy to to be able to chat about. Um, and there's some wonderful narratives there too as well with the Morgan. You know, we've got a, a Morgan, the new plus four. So it's that BMW underpinnings, aluminium structure, the first plus fours to be built into race cars. And one of which is on hand controls with a bunch of our beneficiaries in and a novice cross on the back. Lionel is leading that team, which gives me a huge amount of pleasure. Um, uh, so I, I'm focusing on Anglesey this weekend. I think there's going to be some wonderful stuff down in Thruxton, but you're right. We spread ourselves thin and we have to make sure that what we do, we do properly. But we're hugely grateful where people lean in to do stuff for us and they bring their own ideas along. And for next year, talk to us. If there is something which you think that you can do or something that uh, that would lend itself towards it, 
if we're racing that weekend, then let's do it where we've got a little pause on the Sunday, uh, on the Sunday at 11 o'clock. And just take take that moment just to uh, to think about those who've gone before us. Medals on race suits, mate. I, I can never even think of that without filling up as I am as I am now. Jim, congrats again, mate. And and difficult circumstances for you and all the team. Um, even just getting this done, and there'll be plenty of reflection. I know in that in those moments, both tomorrow at eleven o'clock here in the UK and on Sunday at eleven o'clock here in the UK. Jim Cameron, thanks for joining us. Best of luck for the thanks, weekend. Uh, all of our thoughts with you, of course. Thanks, my friend. Always a pleasure, Jim. Jim Cameron, Midweek Motorsport, uh, Mission Motorsport on Midweek Motorsport, and Paul Trustwell uh, leading the team. Nick will be there as well. We'll have some sound and vision. If you do nothing else over this motorsport weekend, get onto RadioLamont.com on Sunday. We've got coverage on Saturday. Might even get a little bit of bonus coverage on Friday as well. But if you do nothing else, go and get on there on Sunday. Uh, and watch the first part of the race on Sunday when it starts again on Sunday morning and then stay tuned for the remembrance service in the pit lane. It's one of the most moving things uh, that you will ever do. Midweek Motorsports Series 16 episode 44. Big stars on 45 next week. More K- visit Cayman Island Sports Car News. Nick still with us. Hello, Nick. Hello, John. And Shea, of course, still with us just at the end. Nope, still got the Porsches out there on the track. Seb Prio still with the best time. <laughs> so, uh, she's getting excited because she's going on a track walk in a in a in a moment. Uh, so listen, we'll get we'll get your part of the sports car news, the visit Cayman Island sports car news out the way first. Uh, just tidying up a couple of little things in the entry list share from. We talked about it last week. One of the things we couldn't talk about because it wasn't confirmed. It now is there will be two WeatherTech Porsches on the grid on Saturday. Yes, and the drivers for the second of the two cars, the car number 97, so that's 79 and 97. Nice. We've got Kevin Estra, Michael Christensen, and Frederick McVecchi. So that is an all-star wow. car. Uh, anything else that we need to know about to assist us with our enjoyment of the weekend? Uh, yes, I would say that we need to know as far as the support series go, we've got two races tomorrow for the Porsche Carrera Cup North America series. We've got one for the MX-5 and I've actually got breaking news right now. Lonnie Unser, after a massive crash in the second practice session, is out for the weekend. No. She is okay. She's going to stick around and go to the banquet. She had an off in the first practice session, off into the tires. The car was okay, but a massive off on the front straight means that the car will not participate in the races either tomorrow or on Friday, which brings our entry list down to 22. And trust me, seeing these cars in person is even more spectacular than I can describe. We've got a dogfight for tomorrow's race. And I talked to Michael Carter, the reigning champion in this series, he is trying to catch up to Gresham Wagner. 100 points separate the two. He said if it's raining tomorrow, which it is expected to do, it's going to be a three-car battle. The rain is going to separate those championship contenders from everybody else, mm. and I believe him. Uh, uh, anything else, Shane? Then we, we can pretty much let you go, I think. Uh, we've got one fun story. If you're going to be watching the Michelin Pilot Challenge on Friday, that race, the two-hour contest, we've got a new Toyota Supra in the field from Forbush Performance. Well, they are docked up, if you will, right next to CB Motorsports. The owner of CB Motorsports, Chad Bacon, who is the CB, 
His brother-in-law is the guy behind Forbush Performance. There is a legitimate family feud going to be happening out on the track between the two cars, and they are ready. So that's going to be another fun one to keep an eye on. Shea uh, mentioning two Porsche races and a Mazda race tomorrow. Both the po- All three Porsche races and all of the Mazda, the Edemitsu Mazda uh, MX-5 Cup races, are available in sound and vision, no blocks, no brakes, no... Uh, no subscription required via imsaradio.com. That's been for a while now our go-to portal, portal for everything or portal. Um, you can look through it and see a lovely thing of the sea. Um, that's uh, imsaradio.com right across the weekend. If you go there now, you'll see that we have added uh, some extra coverage of Michelin Pilot qualifying, which uh, we don't always get to do, but our colleagues at NASCAR Productions are going to be feeding us pictures for that, so we will be able to do that. So that's a bonus coverage, uh, and all of our audio coverage is on there. The video coverage available if you're outside the USA uh, for uh, WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, of course, uh, it is NBCSN uh, this weekend looking after you there. But plenty of sound and vision uh, for you in the States, including all of those developmental series uh, and, of course, WeatherTech qualifying, all available free, XM Sirius as well on Saturday. Shea, go and get yourself ready for the track walk. Enjoy it. Okie dokie. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Shea, Adam, uh, reporting live from the Michelin Tower at Michelin Raceway, Laguna Seca. You should talk about Kevin Estra there, Michael Christensen, uh, Nick, the big story from the WEC at the weekend uh-huh. uh, was not that Toyota Racing's uh, Mike Conway, Kami Kobayashi and Jose Maria Lopez have become world championships, uh, although they only finished runner-up. It's not that the endurance trophy for LMP2 teams uh, went to Team WRT. Uh, they had just uh, beat their close rivals, Jota, uh, which means, of course, uh, that their drivers... Uh, have won the championship as well. It was, however, what happened in GT Pro, GTE Pro, where Porsche and Ferrari, just four cars, battling it out. Uh, when this happened, and I'm going to read, I'm going to read you through what happened and the times time code. At, eight, at local time, 18:47:34 on lap 225. The yellow flags came out at the final corner. They were almost immediately withdrawn. It was contact between uh, the leading Porsche and the number 51 Ferrari. Uh, at that time, there'd been about half to three quarters of a second between them for quite some time. And the incident happened uh, when uh, one of the LMP2 cars was putting a lap on the leading GTE uh, Pro car. The Ferrari ran into the back of the Porsche and spun the car around. At the end of lap 226, the next time around, the Ferrari led by 11 seconds. At 1847, uh, 1848.17, so around about 40 seconds after the incident, uh, the timing screen from race control told everybody it was under investigation. At 1849.11, another minute or so later, the uh, instruction came on to the teams and to for everyone to see that the Ferrari had to, to redress and give the place back. The place back. There was an 11.2 seconds gap at that stage. Uh, at 
literally 30 seconds after that, the number 92 car, which was on its 30 of 30 lap stints it had been doing all the time, came into the pits for fuel and left with just a fuel stop to get it to the end of the race. This was, by the way, some 12 minutes before the end of the race and left, left at 18.50.25. Next time around, the 51 Ferrari came into its pits for its splash and go. And for at that point when they came back out again, there was just over a second, one and a half between one and a half, 1.2, 1.1 seconds on lap 228 between the two cars. That lap difference, uh, that gap difference stayed the same on lap 229 and 230. It started to go up a little bit on 231. And by the end of the race, with no penalty having been served by Ferrari, uh, the Ferrari won, won the race and therefore took the world championship. A close look at the notice board shows that there was no stewards decision uh, that was posted about the Ferrari either having to give it back or being penalised. Porsche protested the way the decision was made. made. Uh, That was thrown out. It has then protested the fact that their decision's been thrown out and it's gone to the international court. So the championship is not yet over. Out of all of that, Ferrari did a cracking job in working the system, making that mouths go last, the last <laughs> race previously, uh, and came with the performance they needed to win the championship. How yeah. very Ferrari. Well, you know, um, it seems to me to be a failure of race officials rather than a failure of drivers. The drivers are doing driving things. Correct. And... It's down to the race officials. I can understand why Porsche are upset, and I can understand why Ferrari are going. Doesn't matter, we won mm. because that's neither. Yeah, you know, I don't know what Porsche think Ferrari is supposed to do. They've just followed the, the rules as given, and none of these professional racing teams are going to give you stuff they don't have to give you. It's not a charity out there, but I can understand why Porsche are incredibly aggrieved. So, uh, what's being announced recently? There lodged a process against the decisions taken by Eduardo Freitas. Now, he doesn't make the decisions, of course. The three race stewards do. The chairman was Jean-Francois Varou, Yves Bakwalam was the FIA steward, and the local steward, the ASN steward, was Faisal Al shafi uh, Porsche have announced that they were going to appeal against the rejection of the protest. Uh, the intention was to enable it to carry out a full examination of the facts and also the legal standpoint. The in-depth analysis of the situation and the advice of legal counsel have led Porsche to a decision not to pursue the legal action any further. This has just come out, by the way. This is literally less, fewer than 10 minutes ago. So in the interest of the sport, Porsche would in future like to see a stringent and uniform approach taken to penalties uh, for violations on the track, especially during the race. Uh, that's just come in from Porsche. So it's now not going to go to the... Uh, to the Court of Appeal. Porsche have decided to let it lie. You saw it, Nick. I've seen it. I've seen it a million times. It's a slam dunk. <laughs> it's a slam dunk penalty. There's n- yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, un- unless you think the Porsche has brake-tested the the Ferrari, which is what Per Guidi said, and I don't think he did himself any favours mm. saying yeah. that. The Porsche had to stay at the left-hand side because the 
GT, the LMP2 car was coming down on the right, and it, it was 10 minutes before the end of the race. There's only one line through the final corner. Um, it's a slam dunk. It would have been incident responsibility and at, at, li- at the very least a drive-through. I don't know why we saw on the screen uh, to redress and then we saw it was being investigated. What we didn't see unusually was result of investigation, no further action. And we haven't seen anything in the decisions uh, on the notice board. And I've got that up now just to make sure nothing's popped back up again. And and it hasn't. Um, Something has to be done because that's just going to fester, isn't it? I I think it should make the uh, Monaco award ceremony very fruity, that's for sure. Mm. Mm. Uh, It's... But the, but the thing what is, do I think, te- I think what the... do teams and drivers? What do, what do sportsmen in any sport want? They want some kind of consistency, don't they? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's it's, it's about fairness, and and again, I'm not going to blame Ferrari. I'm not going to blame Porsche. The people who failed here are the, are the um, officials. Failure of process, or frightened to make a decision that would affect the world championship. In fairness, the WEC have got previous. For the stewards, by the way, and I'm not. This is I, I'm. I don't know what happened with Eduardo making um, Eduardo Freitas or whoever uh, said put up 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 on the um, on the timing screen and, and and the official timing to redress the situation and give the place back. I don't know who made that decision, but it's clearly not come from the steward because we haven't got a steward's decision for it. But think back to Fuji a few years ago when the second. Uh, when the second J-Drive car cynically took out their, their teammates' only uh, competition for the World Championship. And the the upshot of that was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen that's come out of a, an FIA stewards' room, and that's saying something. Um, surely we've got to get some kind of balance here and and some kind of consistency in the decision-making. We can only hope, but we'd hope for that across the board on a number of boards, you know. Mm. Mm. I just, I think it's unfortunate it's ended this way, but let's be honest, it's no one surprised. Um, quick thought about the, re- the the season and Toyota can only race who they can, uh, of course. Yeah, um, you know, they've won. They've managed to keep it open between the two of them, which always makes it more interesting. Mm. Um, let's hope it's better next year with um, potentially a another grandfather car coming in as well as Peugeot. Yeah, that's the, that was the big news we covered last week. So just that... Just to recap on that, Porsche have now decided in the interest of the sport, Porsche would like to see a stringent and uniform approach taken to penalties for violations on the track, especially during the race, and have decided not to pursue legal action any further after that, uh, after being punted out of the race at Bahrain at the weekend. All right, let's move on. Time to go into the second hour. Please report any unattended bags to a member of... Oh. Hang on. <clears throat> Wrong script. Is Midweek Motorsport and still to come. In a packed second hour before we go to the uh, visit Cayman Islands Porsche Carrera Cup North America Championship contenders, we will have Nick Damon back with us with some Formula One team by team 
Uh, we will have the Team USA scholarship alumni for 2021 who've been rather successful. We'll get them on the phone as well in this second hour. Your comments, please, especially about Bahrain WAC. I'm sure you've got a, uh, an opinion, all of you. Uh, let's have that to aspect your team. Next, our big interview. Alex Lynn will be joining us here on Midweek Motorsports on RS1. Well, delighted to say that we've got Alex Lynn joining us now. Alex, great to have you on Midweek Motorsport. And I suppose congratulations. In fact, I don't suppose. Congratulations are in order because we're not even to the end of this season yet and you're already sorted for next year. That's That must give you a lovely, warm feeling. No, thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here as well. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a great feeling to to already have something in the bag and uh, to start preparation so early with, uh, especially with a, a team like Chip Canassi Racing. It's uh, it's a it's a real honour to be honest, um, and a bit of a dream come true. I, I I'm so delighted for you because you've been. Um, ever since you came into sports car racing and we've seen you with Aston Martin and various other people, um, you, you and I have always said, um, you know, I think your mentality and your driving style suits endurance racing, modern day endurance racing, because effectively it's just a, a whole bunch of, sp- a whole bunch, sorry, how American is that? It, it's a whole series of sprint races linked together with pit stops now, isn't it? Mm, it really is. It really is. And I think that's, that's part of the beauty of why I love it is it's the um, the intensity. I really love the intensity of an endurance race, and certainly the way they are these days is it's, it's a you know it's, it's to coin that old phrase twenty four hour sprint, but every lap really is like your last, and that's that's it. So we've seen Chip uh, and his team who do nothing by halves, by the way, for those who are not aware and who can't be aware if you're listening uh, to this broadcast. But Chip goes at everything 100%. We saw what they did with Ford. They took a year out of IMSA. They came, they've come back with a, uh, a DPI, current DPI programme. And, and the headline news a few months ago was, and we covered it on the show, second car for 2022. So this is a massive upgrade in the effort. Um, maybe not quite twice as much work, but not, not far off it. And you've got a full season drive with this. Now, even though that's exciting for 2022, surely everybody's looking ahead now, Alex, to 2023 and the new LMDH cars. They definitely are. Uh, but I've, I'm really excited for next year, first of all, purely because a lot of these races we're going to, you know, I've dreamed of having the chance to, to fight for an overall win in, in Daytona. Um, and that for me is, is such a big thing for me personally. And then above, you know, everything else that will come afterwards. But right now it's, it's really difficult for me to see past this coming January. Um, but certainly, yeah, 2023 is, everyone's very excited. I, I love this idea of everybody gearing up and planning ahead. You know, don't often, don't always get to do that in motorsport, but I think it's a, it's an indication of just how big this new uh, 
coexistence of regulations are between the ACO and IMSA, that everybody is planning ahead and, and getting themselves up and running. Come 2023, there's going to be no learning years. Everybody wants to hit the ground absolutely flat out. Um, uh, have you, right, you've driven the car. There was a, a little test, what, a couple of three weeks ago now? Yeah, two weeks ago now. Yeah. Two, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, 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 and? Well, to be honest, the last time I drove the car was uh, when I was lucky enough to win Sebring with Wayne Taylor Racing back in 2017. So, so much in my life and my career has happened since the last time I drove the the Cadillac DPI. But to be honest, I still had the biggest smile on my face as soon as I drove out of the pit lane. It actually is, and I'm not just saying it, my favourite racing car I've driven purely because the sound from inside the cockpit is just as good as it is outside. Um, and it's just a beautifully balanced racing car and just great fun to drive. Um, really cool just to be back in it and drive with Chip Ganassi Racing. Ha- has anything much changed in in that time in terms of the specification of the car? Um, in fact, there's been an, hasn't there been an engine change in that? There's a slight change in the in the capacity, but also different teams run cars, even the same car, different ways. Any little uh, any little nuances that you had to get used to for the for the Chip Ganassi Racing uh, side of things? To be honest, I, I, I couldn't remember something from from 2017 on a different track. Um, so it was <laughs> it was it was it was just like. Uh, experiencing it all over again. Oh yeah, the engines come down from a six point two litre to a five and a half, which already is, you know, from someone who's racing predominantly in in Europe and certainly the last few years racing an electric car, that was quite different, <laughs> should we say it like that? <laughs> Well, the amount of CCs it's lost, I've actually been in racing cars that have only had that amount of CCs uh, as its, its engine power, to be to be honest. I once raced a Daihatsu Charade, which I think was only a 750cc or an 820 or something like that, so it's not, not that far off. Uh, that change in the engine hasn't changed the characteristics much. It, I mean, right, you, you're used to instant torque with, with Formula E, but that that big old brute still pushes along quite nicely. Yeah, I think from my side, and I, I remember experiencing this for the first time when I raced the Cadillac in 2017, you don't appreciate, well, I didn't appreciate actually how much more drivable an engine like that can be with you know a high-capacity engine, the amount of torque it delivers, especially when you get on tighter tracks, um, bumpy tracks, just the drivability of having an engine with that much torque is really cool, uh, You know, especially when you come from a turbo car where you've almost always preempting the power delivery and in that it's just uh, plug and play you press the uh, the throttle and it goes there's nothing else going on do you know we haven't got the video switched on for this i know you can see me but i can't see but i can hear the the smile in your voice there alex when you talk about that you were out at, at road atlanta in the car this time was it yes yes it was and you you've been to road atlanta before though haven't you no it was my first time there <gasps> First time there and you're in a DPI. Yeah, it's fast. <laughs> it's really fast. Turn one. How fast yeah, is turn one? Really fast. <laughs> <laughs> and is I think I think about ninety percent of the corners are blind turnings pretty much, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, as I as I found out and I even um, we, yeah, we had the whole squad there and I think Renger van der Zander was the first one in the car and he got out and I think he said I forgot how fast it was. I swear you won this race last year, mate. He's like, yeah, yeah, but I did just forget. I wonder what it's going to feel like for me. And he was right. It did feel really quick. 
It's it's a real momentum circuit. Um, even the slow corners, uh, such as they are, has turned seven onto the the back straight, which isn't a straight, of course, but effectively it is because you're not you're not breaking or, or, or lifting off. But that that one is the one that really sucks you in. Uh, in in virtual reality and in real life, I've made many mistakes there in the past. Um, that takes a, b- a bit of getting right. You always feel like you can take a bit more speed into there than you can, and then you realise you can't, and you on the grass um, or on the, t- on the <laughs> dirt but down through the S's I've never driven a downforce car around there so down through the S's that over the top of turn 2 my nemesis corner and then mm. down the hill 3, 4 and 5 as you pop out over the top again in a downforce car can you d- give us a little bit of an idea about what that's like? For me the, the first time being there turn 2 was the real one that if you get that one correct and get because the car sort of it lands off the curb, but you could be so aggressive coming back to throttle. And like as soon as you get through to third gear, fourth gear, like you feel the downforce just even though the car's sliding around, it just starts starts to just stick to the to the floor, even though it's moving. You just there's no part of you that is contemplating lifting just because once you get the confidence, you know it's about to come to you and the downforce builds and it just calms itself down. Uh, but for a, a good like one or two hundred meters, it's like, whoa, is it okay? Is it not? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that. It, it does take a lot of getting used to. And, and it's um, a, yeah. Road Atlanta in particular, a track that isn't billiard table smooth by any stretch of the imagination. But the the, the downforce on the, these cars good enough to to keep it pretty well stuck. No, it's really really high downforce. I feel on these cars. Um, you know that's, and I think you know the Delara chassis works so well in that configuration. You know, one of and that's on the I guess one of the highest downforce specification circuits. Um, it does feel really fast. And since the last time I drove a DPI, it's had Michelin tyres as well. I was, I was on Continentals before. So again, that's another big step in, in grip. Um, yeah, nice, nice to feel. We've been smashing track records um, all the way through since the transition to the, the new tyre man- manufacturer and, and Michelin came came on board. And just for a, a bit of fun, Jeremy Shaw and I were looking back at some lap records and we were comparing, all right, people will say we're not comparing like with like, but in the, the Audi and Peugeot era, everything got turned up for qualifying. So we were comparing comparing race lap records with qualifying lap records this this past couple of seasons and it's not that far off and and those were cars that had a thousand horsepower for fun and downforce to give away and were spaceship technology and by the way of the price tag to mash these dpis are a very very efficient way of going motor racing cost-wise but also the aero and the chassis the tyres are much smaller nowadays, but these are proper, proper racing cars, really well developed now. I think the proof's been in the pudding, but gen- and the show's been so good for so many years, but really the whole formula of DPI has worked so well. Um, you know, Even as a driver, it's, it's just such great fun, um, and I think it works so well. And like you said, the, the performance is so high for such a relatively low cost in mm. comparison to what it used to be. Um, and it's just a great platform as well for manufacturers to show off and have the little styling cues to, you know, hark back to their, their road car product. It's just a really good formula. So at the end of the test at, at Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta, reacquainted with the Cadillac, um, you clearly enjoyed yourself, Alex. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was great fun. It was really, really cool. And we've got a, I know we've got another test coming up at Daytona to get ourselves ready before, um, before the Raw. Um, so, 
yeah, I was just a bit sad. It's like, God, I wish I was coming back here in a few weeks to race. Um, so, but no, I'll, I'll be there just just in uh, just to have a watch. But for me personally, I'll be having experienced the circuit and felt how cool it is. I'll be uh, a frustrated uh, witness. <laughs> frustrated witness. I'm writing that down. That that's very good. So so let's let's bring you back to to next year and this great great announcement. Um, obviously, there's going to be some extra drivers come in that hasn't been announced yet and I'm not going to ask you about that that's not your announcement to make do you even know which of the two cars you're going to be in at the moment I really don't um I know that that's it's being discussed I, I believe after the road Atlanta test they were going to have a good look at everything and see who we were going to be placed with um between all four of us for the full-time um with with the full-time drivers I guess it comes down to so many things height um experience uh driver characteristics uh personalities i guess uh, yeah it's one for the uh, the hierarchy at, at chip ganassi racing so you're gonna have to get used to sharing your toys again alex that's the other thing having been off being in the the, the heady world of single seat is where it's all about you now <laughs> you are gonna have to you are gonna have to play nicely with with others how much of those things that you're talking about can make or break a partnership in endurance racing? The physical characteristics, okay, I, I see that, but not everybody likes a car that's on the nose or, or a bit a bit pushy, a bit understeery. How how does how does that have to balance out then? I think when you get to a, a certain level, you know, us drivers, we're all, we're all there because we just really want to win, and then. It's funny. It's what I, it's what I love about endurance racing is you'll do anything for your teammate in the end to, to get the result you want. So then it's it doesn't matter what it could be. You'd do anything to help them if they want a car a certain way. Then then of course you'd sacrifice something for yourself. And I think that's the ultimate uh, to be in a, a sports car team where everyone's willing to sacrifice something for each other. Um, and yeah, whether that's car setup or yeah, who does qualifying who finishes who starts you you just want to do what's best for for your crew that's interesting you mentioned that because one of the drivers you've got Earl Bamba who's coming in into the team when he and Lawrence Vanto won for Porsche in the GT uh, Le Mans category they stuck to the same plan all season and basically um Lawrence qualified and did the opening stint on the shorter races and then the closer, if you like, using another Americanism, w- was Earl. And that really worked for them because they specialised effectively. Lawrence did the, the, the setup for qualifying and qualified. Earl did it for the longer runs, which obviously then Lawrence had to deal with in the first stint of the race. Are we talking about that kind of fine margins now in endurance racing where these tiny little incremental gains is what makes the difference between not being first, second or third, but possibly getting any kind of result at all? I think it's it's imperative these days to realise or understand where you fit within the crew. And uh, whether that's, you know, that's a, when you talk about just a two driver crew, that's one thing. But then as you add three drivers to the dimension, um, you really, um, and I remember I, I used to work very closely with Alex Verts, and he was the first one to tell me that, you know, there's there's always the team captain of the car crew, there's the there's the hot shot, and then there's maybe the more experienced guy, and you just got to figure out which one you are at a certain point in your career, and I think that's that's a really global way of of putting it, but genuinely yeah. that's 
as you go through your career, whether you're younger or slightly older, that's it really fluctuates. Um, but it is very important to know where you fit in. I'm presuming that you know of um, the guys that you'll be racing with. So it's Renger van der Sander, Earl Bamba and Sebastian Bourdain yourself. I have to say, whichever way you stack those chips, it, that's that's a pretty solid lineup in in two cars. However, that works up. You know the guys well enough? Uh, Earl and Rengo, I would say I know really well. Um, Sebastian, I've actually never met him, but obviously his, his reputation speaks for himself and from with what he's won and, you know, seriously classy driver. So I'm excited to meet him and, and work closely with him. Uh, but certainly most of the guys I know really well and they're really top guys, which makes everything like really easy just to, you know, you know what it's like. You, you want to have a nice time when you go away racing and when everyone's happy, the results t- seem to come. It's true, isn't it, that a happy team is normally a successful team because it's like when the circus comes to town, isn't it? And we've been a part of that as well. You see the same faces every two or three weeks. Everybody eating, particularly in IMSA competition, pretty much everybody eats in the same place. You see them. It's it's a nice atmosphere and it fosters, uh, all right, you're always going to have competition, but it fosters, I think, respect between teams as well. And on that... The competition's not getting any easier at the front of, of DPI, Alex. So even with the might of Chip Ganassi racing behind you, that's not going to guarantee anything once the green flag's waving at the start of 2022. No, it doesn't. And yeah, like you said, the competition is extremely tough. Um, you know, I've had the pleasure of driving for Wayne Taylor Racing, which again is looking like they're going to have a strong championship finish um, this year, regardless of if it's, it's first or second. But you know, t- teams like that, they're top, top level, uh, top sports car teams that are also, you know, everyone in IMSA, in DPI level and, and in some other classes are gearing up to get ready for LMDH mm. in particular. So everyone's going to be putting on a big push to be ready now for, to you know, start 23. So already, you know, the, let's just say that the intensity is really building, I think, within sports car racing in, in, in IMSA. Totally, totally agree with you. There are still people, remarkably, um, even people who listen to and watch our broadcasts, who kind of slightly still look down their nose at IMSA competition. And, you know, given what we were talking about with the times that the DPIs are putting in, the competitive element, the calibre of drivers right throughout IMSA, it's a full grid at uh, Motul Petit Le Mans coming up this weekend, I think I, I think there's only I think it is actually full. I don't think they could take any more forty three cars, isn't it? So I, I mean, just extraordinary that people oh because there's no LMP ones there because there's no um, European factory teams. It, it's it's not it's not proper racing, but it is. Oh no, the, the level is sky high, really, really sky high. And to be honest, now DPI is um, it's not a million miles away from where LMP one was. And it's, and it's now a lot a lot faster than hypercar. So mm. actually, True. in terms of raw speed and the level of the car, it's, it's, it's a flying machine. Um, but yeah, for me, I think, especially we're going to see it now as, as the new regulations come in, there's a lot, going to be a lot of European factory teams competing on both sides. I and mean, there already is, but I think it's only, it's only going to go one way. And, yeah. When you look forward to next year, and I know you're looking forward to next year, um, because we can hear that, absolutely. Um, how many of the tracks do you know? How many of the tracks don't you know? Uh, I know two of them now. 
uh, Sebring and um, Oh Well, so, you know, pretty much the start and end of the season. You're going to do a little bit of a test at Daytona. That'll be fine. Everything else, oh, well, we'll just take it as it could. Well, mate, I tell you what. I, do you know what? I wish, I almost wish I could turn it back and go to some of these tracks for the first time because going to, you know, Road Atlanta, as you've just been for the first time, you found that Road America... Um, going to that Canadian Time Motorsport Park. Let's hope we get to that again this year. These places, you're, you in particular, are going to love these tracks. Are you looking forward to it? I know I am. I am, and I've um, I've invested in the home simulator as well, just because I've, I've re- I realise how tricky these tracks are going to be. You know, and they're and they're fast and they're furious and all the other adjectives you can use, but it's it's uh, the tracks over there are are very very fast and serious. So. I want to make sure I'm uh, fully up to speed, and I think um, I think I should. I'll do a lot of homework to get ready. And I've missed out a whole load as well. So before anybody says, "Oh, you didn't mention this," or "You didn't mention that," okay, yeah, okay. So Watkins Glen that I never went to in the ELMS days, and you're always worried about going to a track that you hold in such high regard. I remember it from back in its Formula One glory days as well, and it really just didn't disappoint at all. It's still jaw-droppingly brilliant, and it's been resurfaced since the first time I went as well, so it's smoother, it's faster. You've got some real challenges, and in some ways, Alex, the, the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, with that variety of circuits, um, with that old-school kind of feel about some of these, it's a real challenge for the drivers, and, and where drivers can make a difference. No, they can. They really, really can. And, you know, like you said, if a driver's, you know, if someone's the the finisher or the qualifier, you know, really knowing the intricacies of these of these circuits is, is really important. And that's why, yeah, like like I said, even investing in my own simulator at home, it's, it's so important. Uh, and actually, it was it was Ross Gunn, a good friend of mine from, from Aston Martin Racing, who said, like, you need to get on that because the tracks are, you know, they're, they're very difficult and you need to just make sure you're practicing every day to be ready to be on the limit. Well, in fairness, he took to it like a duck to water when he came over in the, in the GT category. I, I remember him at, uh, I think it was VIR, one of the first time he came over and he, he was absolutely outstanding. You won't get to go to that, of course, because the, the prototypes don't do VIR, but if you're around, go to the race because, again, it's a spectacular circuit. Circuits, like I remember, you know what an old so-and-so I am, I remember from going to see races in my youth at places like Cadwell Park and Alton Park and the old Croft and places like this and even, you know, top-line races on the Brands Hatch uh, full Grand Prix circuit and that's what these circuits put me in mind of. They're really challenging for the suspension engineers, the tyre manufacturers and of course for the drivers and adding to that you've got sometimes three or four different classes of racing. Is that the sort of challenge that you relish Alex when you're looking forward to next year? No it it really is and you know when you're talking about circuits like that I really I, I do miss racing in British Formula 3, British Formula Renault you know, those those were such fun days and I really feel that this is going to circuits akin to that, but on a seriously international level with some, you know, seriously fast racing cars. And so it's a it's a huge step up, but on circuits that really just give you that great feeling to be there. Um and that's that's what's so special, I think, about IMSA in general, mm. just giving you that feeling of this is just so cool. Uh, and it's it's really unique, I think, the championship in that sense. 
well, with a bit of luck, as things go back to whatever's going to pass for, for normal next year, we might even get to sit down at one or two of these and have a few more uh, chats with you and do it face-to-face rather than electronically. Alex, thanks for joining us on, on Midweek Motorsport. Uh, good luck in the off-season, such as it is nowadays, and pass on our best to everybody at Chip Ganassi Racing, your teammates, uh, and you and your family have a great Christmas and New Year. Thank you very much, and the same to you. Appreciate it. Alex Lynn there, and uh, now we need to go back to uh, Nick Damon. Evening. Uh, because it's time for Nick Damon's team-by-team review of the Mexican Grand Prix. Olé! Ah, olé. Excellent. Uh, I'm going to start with Alpha Tari. Uh, yeah, sorry, I... That's a great start. You had after my mind construed that to Alpha. First of all, um, extra points for everyone who stayed awake for that race, uh, because um, for once John was right. It was incredibly dull. Um, oh, in the Alvatari, first a half lap tips. was okay, but after yeah, that, we first, kind of knew what was going to well, happen. Well, no, only really as far. It's not even half lap. It's the first two corners, the first sector, and then nothing happened. Yeah, I'll give you that. We'll, we'll, we'll agree on the first sector. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so the um, Alfatari had a kind of a, a bit of a curate there, good and bad in part. Poor old Yuki Tsunoda, who we've already alluded to today, got completely thrown under the bus by Horner and Marco, who accused him of ruining the qualifying laps of the two Red Bull guys. And in fact, what he'd actually been trying to do is get out of the way. He just hadn't been particularly well advised where to do it by um, his team. And more importantly, because of the weird nature of the Mexican track not being used at all, when he went off, he, he blew up a, a cloud of dust. And that cloud of dust um, distracted um, Sergio Perez, and he went off because of that. So he didn't, it was down to him being distracted, not for anything else. And then, of course, the two cars off, and Verstappen was distracted by them rather than more understanding, thinking he's going to yellow flag. So, anyway, it didn't work out too badly um, for Red Bull, but it did work out too bad for Yuki, who got another kick in the face for no reason at all. And then Sunday was going really, really well to the first corner. Uh, when he got involved in the second few kerfuffle after the coming together of Bottas and Ricciardo. Uh, he and Mick Schumacher got either side of Esben Ocon and both managed to break parts of their car, whereas Ocon carried on going. So he was, he was, he was sitting there stranded on the curb of turn two, wasn't he? Um, yeah. And but when he was running, he was running quite well. Um, you know, the Honda engines obviously worked well and the altitude was four of them were going quickly, um, which is obviously evidenced by his teammate, uh, Pierre Gasly, who finished fourth, uh, quite comfortably fourth, a long way ahead of uh, Charles Leclerc in fifth, and a long way behind Sergio Perez in third. So, and said it was a perfect race, and it was so perfect we never saw him, so you can pretty sure he had a very good race. Gazi continues to impress in the AlphaTauri, and Honda continues continue to impress in high altitude. And next we move on to Haas, and yet again Nikita Mazepin uh, finishes ahead of Mick Schumacher. Yes, he managed to leap ahead of Mick Schumacher because Mick Schumacher lasted three corners because mm-hmm. uh, he was the other side of the sandwich with uh, Esteban Ocon and he broke his suspension as well. Um, what can I say, really? The car's you know, not getting any quicker, is it? It's still at the back. Um, Schumacher, when he was running, was faster than Mazepin. Mazepin had a row with the team on team radio, which I think was a bit storming the teacup in the end, to be honest. Um, more indicative of the fact that they're all fed up with him but can't fire him because of the cash, I think, more than anything else. Um, and Schumacher had a very, a very point of this race in, in every way. So, I mean, they're counting down the days until the season's over and obviously pinning their hopes that for some reason they were actually build a fantastic 2022 car. Can't see it myself. Uh, next on to Williams. Do you remember those glorious days just three or four races ago when they were scoring points every race, Tim? I do. 
Well, they've gone. Uh, those glory days have gone, and it was very much uh, business as, as used to be usual. Um, the last couple of races have just not been anywhere. Um, I'm not quite sure why. I think there's an engine penalty in there. Uh, there's been a bit of bad luck. George qualified reasonably well and was aided by a lot of the cars around taking penalties, but he just slipped back and slipped back and slipped back. The car had no race pace. Um, I think both the overtakes, I think I actually saw on, on the screen, one of which is Lance Stroll. I can't remember the other. I think it might be Fernando. Um, we're going past George, who had no pace. Uh, Latifi uh, was 15 seconds behind him. But, yeah, Williams just, for some reason, the last couple of races, they've been completely out of it. You know, there's many more circuits to come. They may have another lucky lucky day. But they are still many, 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 many points ahead of Alfa Romeo. So, they're, again, also just drifting towards the end of the season. Do you remember at the start of the year when they launched the Williams, they said, done something quite different with the car and he'll work really well at some circuits and be terrible at others yeah it was the idea was they were, they were having it so it was it, it didn't like wind basically so things had to be downforce had to be in one direction perhaps the fact that they've got no downforce uh in the high altitude just meant it wasn't going to work i'm not quite sure it wouldn't work at uh coast because coast wasn't particularly windy but Anyway, it's it's you know it's one of the cars that's not that good. They had a little purple patch, didn't they? And that purple patch is going to serve them well. Uh, so next, we move on to Mercedes. Yes. What are we going to do about Valtteri? What are we going to do about Valtteri? Well, decide the well, we're going to send him off to uh, Sauber so he can do some postseason testing in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, but there's this microcosm really of of Bottas in in well in a day effectively. Absolute fantastic pole position, brilliant driving, maximised it, shocked everyone, stuck it on pole, brilliant, 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 brilliant. Not a very good start, tactically naive, then got collected. So the first two bits, that's his fault, being collected, not really his fault, but he shouldn't have been there if he'd started better. And then got stuck behind Ricciardo because he can't make things happen. And this is this is Valtteri. It's, it's like, you know, one weekend he's brilliant, the next weekend he's just anonymous. And... I think I said before, the worrying thing I would have, and I realise the Mercedes is particularly hamstrung when it tries to overtake things. And this, you know, it's just probably the worst car of any in traffic because it's never designed to be in traffic, of course. But it does worry you slightly. He's going to go and run for Sauber Alfa Romeo, where he's going to permanently be in traffic if he's going to get anywhere next year. Because I don't think they're able to build the fastest car. So, you know, Bottas' inability to strike past people is going to be more of a problem. Uh, at Alfa Romeo, though I suppose I'm hoping he'll put the qualifying performances in in front of most people to say who are faster or slower than him. Um, Lewis, I should think, was probably pretty happy with second at the end of the day. Um, you know, the, the Red Bull was just fantastic here. It wasn't so much the end. It's, it's, it's the downforce. They have, they have more peak downforce. So when you are piling everything on, which they do, of course, in Mexico, because the thinner air means they lose 25% of it anyway. Um, they were just able to go better. Um, Verstappen, you know, had a relatively poor, well, unlucky poor qualifying, drove very well for one corner, and had so much in hand. I reckon he, was, I reckon that car was at least half a second lap faster than Lewis, and probably three quarters of a second lap faster. Um, so Lewis could do nothing about it. Um, you know, he was basically just happy not to be overtaken by Sergio Perez, and and Perez again showed. If you looked at the when, you know, when Hamilton was battling against Perez. Whenever Hamilton got anywhere near any traffic, lapped traffic, he was losing so much time. Um, and Perez could, could absolutely fall in the slips. He just couldn't quite get past because one of the things that the Mercedes did have was excellent top speed. So uh, second place, uh, probably the best he could hope for. Aston Martin. 
Uh, well, Lance Stroll um, took an engine and then took a wall, so he took a gearbox, uh, and then was right at the back in the in the battle of those taking bits of extra car. Um, Trundled through, eh, not too bad. Uh, Fettel did all right, uh, got some points with seventh, which is probably the best. The Aston Martin car again, you know, one of the two low rakes hasn't got the money to be developed, hasn't been developed. Uh, seventh place pretty much is the best they're ever going to do, and and Fettel put it there, helped by some poor decision making by Alfa Romeo and solid drive from Sebastian. But you know, again, Aston Martin have need to massively improve next year, but they have an excuse for this year in that their car was stymied by the regulations. Alpine. Alpine. Where have, what's happened to Alpine? Alpine were looking really, really good. And, and historically, we always used to think that Renault was pretty good at altitude. It now seems that actually Renault are only good at altitude when they're in the back of a Red Bull. The Red Bulls, I think, was good at altitude. Um, surprisingly poor, I think I'd say on that one. I think was it Ocon took an engine penalty as well, didn't he? So he was starting at the back. Uh, Alonso managed to pick up a couple of points, but it's kind of a hollow victory because he, you know, he was ahead of people like Norris and uh, who took a penalty, Ricciardo and Bottas had a first lap incident, Stroll took a penalty as well. So yeah, the points all count the same whether you, whether or not, but but it doesn't actually show any great pace in the Alpine. So you know, it's it's weird how this particular race and the couple, last couple of races we began to see gaps opening up. In, in, none of these cars being developed, so you, you would think they'd be static, but it's almost like there's a level of giving up going on with various people. So Alonso, um, anonymous, we've got two points. Uh, McLaren is next. Yeah, and you know, a bad weekend for McLaren in their battle with uh, Ferrari, which for the second week in a row they were comprehensively beaten by them. Um, I think Ricciardo was un- was a bit unlucky in that first corner. You know, Bottas you know, obviously Bottas was the car who was hit, so he feels more unlucky. But Ricciardo, you know, just was was making the corner. Bottas wasn't quite where he wanted to be. It's one of his first corner corner things. That's the t- that's the, 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 not only did he do this wing, but he also damaged floor a bit, which explains why he couldn't crawl back up to anyone else. Uh, Lando started right at the back with an engine penalty, and this concept that it's easy to overtake at uh, Mexico is once again proven wrong because you can't overtake unless you've got a tyre offset, and no one has a tyre offset in the first 30 laps because all the same tyres, and then they have to then they have to drop back a couple of seconds um, to make sure the cars don't overheat. So Mexico City actually is a very very bad track for racing these current cars, even, uh, and, and that probably won't change um, uh, for next year because you still the reason you won't be able to follow is actually because of the lack of cooling rather than the uh the aerodynamic disruption but uh yeah norris got a point but it's it's a hollow victory ferrari no alfa romeo alfa romeo alfa romeo Antonio Giovinazzi uh, was very very annoyed that he got brought into the pits um way earlier than everyone else he was actually ahead of Sebastian Vettel. I think he may be running seventh, maybe running sixth. Uh, and they decided to bring him in the kind of an undercut thing, but it just didn't work because he got stuck behind, surprisingly, Valtteri Bottas, who was going nowhere, stuck behind Daniel Ricciardo. And he faded backwards and didn't get any points and was very unhappy. And kind of the fact that he actually had a go at the team kind of you know, indicates what we already knew, which is he just you know, running down the end of his contract and won't get retained because he wasn't, he certainly wasn't playing company man. And you can see his frustration. He was, you know, the team took a gamble, which, you know, if it come off, he would have probably then finished seventh, but uh, he didn't. And he just got stuck in traffic and everyone got stuck in traffic and he was just trolling around the track, trying to keep the cars cool. Uh, Kiri Reichen got some points, which is nice for him in his 49th year. He's 102 now, isn't he, or something? Um, got an eighth. Uh, again, solid run. Solid run from Kimi Raikkonen. Uh, good for points for Alfa Romeo. 
slightly reduces the gap to Williams. That's the gap still 12 points, and you can't really see them making scoring 12 points. They're making up a gap of 12 points in the remaining four races. Because um, you look at the people he the, the right was ahead of, it's you know it's both um, McLarens, which wouldn't normally happen, um, and one of the Mercedes, which wouldn't normally happen. Uh, yeah, so you know it's it's a good good at least this time they finally taken a slight advantage, even though they shoot themselves a foot like the Giovinazzi. But uh, you you have to say that Alfa Romeo as a group have massively massively underperformed across all regions this year. Now can we do Ferrari? Yes. Fifth and sixth for the Clarence. Science, science um, uh, slightly more impressive at the start of the race, um, having got delayed. Uh, but the, the real story of the pair of them is they've now seemed to have really opened up a performance gap to McLaren. I mean, to see what happens um, this week in Brazil. But they, they have looked a lot better since they put this new hybrid engine on, which obviously enables, even though the actual ultimate the ultimate extra horsepower isn't very many it's about eight or nine it's the way it deploys means you've got more power everywhere and i think they're all they're also one of the teams that's really getting a handle on their car and they're working you know methodically through to try and pull themselves into a better position for next year but and both drivers drove well in a race where you, you know there really, really isn't a lot of driving required because you're just trying around trying to keep the car cool but um, yeah, I think Ferrari feel, that we've been feeling very, very encouraged by the progress they've made in the last half dozen races. Uh, and it's always good, you know, even if your year is, means you're just third and Ferrari, it's not really a massive success. It, it, at least if you're going out on a high, um, you know, as they come back from the cheating two years ago, uh, you know, they have a chance to really push on for next year. And they were actually cheating, weren't they? They were cheating. Uh, finally, That's Red Bull. Yeah, I mean, we got a bit. We, we, basically, everything up to qualifying went exactly as we expected, which was the Red Bull was massively faster than the Mercedes. You know, half a second minimum faster. Um, then they managed to make make a complete pig's blanket of uh, the qualifying session. Ended up third and fourth. Um, the Sabin said he thought third was quite a good position compared to second, and he was. And yeah, you know, let's not go through the turn one. It didn't really matter what happened. If he had, even if he'd been second in the, at the end of the first lap, he still would have won the race. He had so much in hand for an undercut or an overcut. It was never going to be. Lewis was never going to keep him behind. In a way, I suppose you could say that the qualifying mistakes meant that what should have been a, a one-two for Red Bull ended up being a one-three. So, you know, I think that, that Perez really, with that car with that sort of speed, and you could see how much faster it was than Lewis as he was catching up. And I know it was a tire offset, but that wasn't that much of it. He was just an awful lot faster than Lewis uh, and, and the Mercedes. They should have had a one too. So, you know, they, they have perhaps underperformed. Um, there was some excellent um, silly mucking about at the end when uh, Valtteri decided, was told to try and take the uh, fastest lap off Perez, which is only a, a battle, of course, as far as the... Uh, Constructor team was concerned, and Max Verstappen managed to lose three seconds of lap to hold him up, which I thought was quite clear. Then get then lap him and unlap him. He had to unlap by him, just and eventually when they just pulled Valtteri in again, he, did, he had two goes at fastest lap, which he got, and that's why there's now a single point between the two of them in Mercedes' favour in the constructors' championship. Max Verstappen 19 points ahead in the uh, drivers' championship, and you know must be very very heavy favourite um, this weekend in Brazil. Probably going to be neutral to slightly favouring um, Red Bull and then the rest of the race look very open but uh, yeah so in many ways if you'd shown me this result sheet um, on Friday I'd have just thought oh 
well, obviously there's been a, a slight incident with Valtteri Bottas, but the rest of it is just what you expect. It was not a great race. And that's Nate Damon's team-by-team review of the Mexican Grand Prix. He'll be back next week at the same time with his review of the Brazilian Grand Prix. Apparently. Uh, for now... I will be, yeah, but I'll be in Sebring, though. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, and more about that on next week's show as well. Uh, but for now, uh, we'll say goodbye to you, Nick Damon. Bye-bye. Uh, now, tomorrow night at nine, he's making a habit of knocking off the big teams this season after a rough start of the, uh, to the year at Bathurst. Cool Drive Racing's Tim Slade has been a revelation and has charged to put in a few points of the Supercars Top 10. And he's a guest on this week's On The Grid, uh, uh, talking about the year so far, operating as a single-car team uh, and much, much more. Plus, as they reach the midway point of the Sydney Supercar Swing, the team will look ahead to see if anything will change for next weekend's races in V8 Supercar. John. Well, it's been an exceptionally busy few weeks, last few weeks, for the Team USA Scholarship Team uh, for 2021. Uh, Max Esterton and Andre Castro, who join us uh, on the line here on Midweek Motorsports. Uh, Max, Andre, thank you for joining us. Uh, Andre, have you been able to draw breath yet after the last few weeks? I know Max has been in the UK for a little while, but my goodness, you had to get up to speed very quickly. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having both of us. Uh, obviously, the voice is pretty iconic in the US, so whenever we watch IMSA and all sports car racing around the world, so really cool to be on here. But uh, yeah, I, I finally got a chance to breathe after the Walter Hayes uh, this past Monday and Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday, I actually went to Silverstone to, to see Max test the GB3. But before that, yeah, it was pretty flat out for about two weeks there, just uh, going to Brands and then and then Silverstone as well. I think combined, that was probably nine days out of 10 that we were in the car. Or I think it was 10 out of 11, actually. We, wow. we did a GB3 test at, uh, at Bedford Autodrome. So I actually got to te- uh, test the GB3 as well, which is a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm planning to stay here for like another week and uh, hopefully take it a, a bit more low-key um, and just see some sights. See some sights, absolutely. Have you Had you been to the UK before you came over, Andre? I've been once before, and it was actually to race uh, in the NASCAR Wheel and Euro Series two years ago. Oh, right, yeah. Uh, yeah, I raced at Brands, so I kind of had that experience already, albeit in a very different car. But uh, it was it was great that weekend, really sunny, sunny summer weekend, and uh, no, had a good, had a good run there, uh, pole and finished second in NASCAR, and and then I went to London for a few days, so that was really fun. Um, but that that was my first time. This is obviously the longest period of time I've been I've been in the UK for, and, and I've liked it. I'm pleased to hear you've enjoyed yourself. Max, it's been a little bit of a different story for you because you've been plying your driver trade in the in the UK pretty much all this season. Yeah, I've been uh, been here since April, I think, living in Brackley. And uh, yeah, I think after this week, it's I think it's been around 70 days in the car since April, which is pretty insane when you think about it. I don't think it would be possible anywhere else, really. Uh, and so, yeah, it's been great. And you've been doing some Formula Ford over here in the in the British Championship, yeah? Yeah, it's actually the same team, uh, Load MC Racing, that I've been doing, uh, that we did the festival and Walter Hayes with. Yeah, I did the full full national series, finished third in that, and did a few club races as well at Brands. Uh, and how had your season gone up until then? 
Yeah, uh, really strong pace, I'd say, in the wet and dry. Uh, I think I had 13, or, uh, yeah, I think 13 podiums in 20 races. So definitely a strong season, two wins at Silverstone. Um, yeah, really strong. For the pair of you, you follow in some very big shoes in Team USA Scholarship, um, which has been supporting America's young drivers for more years than Jeremy Shaw would like me to remind him. To be honest, um, it makes us all feel like we've been around a very long time, and that's only because we have. Um, what was what was the whole experience, Max, like being... Uh, finding out that you'd been selected and then going to the shootout. Yeah, I was actually selected last year as well as part of the final six, but it was definitely a bit odd last year because there's no shootout because of COVID. But Correct. yeah, this year, definitely, definitely very exciting. Uh, lots of good drivers were included at the shootout. I think all six of us were, were pretty strong. Um, so it's definitely some tough competition and, you know, met some great people and obviously had great judges there. I mean, Joseph Newgarden stopped by for a day. Uh, Andy Lally was there, so lots of good people helping us out. And, and Andre, what was your initial emotion then, finding out uh, that you had been selected and you were going to come to the UK? Uh, it was amazing, honestly. It's, it's kind of funny because I have a memory of watching the NASCAR Xfinity race that day, and uh, <laughs> like I, I basically learned that I was uh, that I was selected right when when the the winner was doing his victory celebration. Oh, so wow. it's kind of. I was seeing him like celebrating and I was feeling like that on the inside and I told my mom and she was really happy, but yeah, kind of like Max, I, I, uh, I was involved in the process before once, but it was five years ago. So that was a long time ago. I was 17. Mm. And, um, that year, Oliver Askew and Kyle Kirkwood ended up winning. I was in the finalists, uh, but yeah, didn't get to go that year. And then obviously just so much of my life has changed those past five years. So it's interesting to look back and see kind of everything that's changed in my life you know, racing and non-racing related since uh, since the last time I was part of the program. But, you know, Jeremy's stayed, I've stayed in contact with Jeremy, you know, off and on the whole time, really, since the last five years. So it was cool to be involved again. And, uh, and yeah, like Max said, there was a lot of a lot of good talent there. So I felt really, really privileged to be, to be selected and just to have the chance to come over here and race some really good guys. I, I love the fact that you got back in touch with Jeremy as well and said, hey, am I still on your radar? And Jeremy said, uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, sometimes you've got to be a little bit pushy in motor racing, Andre. Yeah, absolutely. And what kind of drove me to do that was I had a, a, a season lined up in USF 2000 with some sponsorship support, and that kind of fell through. So I ended up kind of not doing anything over the summer in terms of racing. So um, I was just trying for everything, really, to get back into a race car and uh, you know, I felt like for the first time in the in the past five years that I was in a position in the open wheel racing scene where, you know, I was doing some good things, but wasn't too experienced yet. So I just felt like the time was perfect to reach out. So that was, that was, you know, looking back on it, I actually kind of thought of it about a week or two before he selected everybody. So it was good that I thought of it when I did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously kudos to him for, for including me in it. And it's been, it's been a ride. It's been, quite a ride. Well, guys, you, you you join, as I said, a, a long line of very uh, big names now uh, is as far as Team USA scholarships concerned. Uh, and Max, 
always the Formula Four Festival has been part of this, pretty much always, uh, anyway. And it was a it was a big event this year because it was the fiftieth anniversary, and you both had great heats and semi finals, and ultimately both finished on the podium. I mean, that was pretty much all right. You could say one or two places away from being a perfect weekend, but my goodness, what a weekend that was for the for the pair of you! How how, how did it go for you, and 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 what was your thoughts on on racing in the fiftieth anniversary Formula Ford Festival? Yeah, I mean it was just a mega event. I think there were close to a hundred entries, which I think it was I read somewhere is the most since ninety three. Yeah, so definitely huge and. Uh, yeah, we were actually teammates with Jan Magnussen and his nephew, Dennis Lind, who won British GT this year. So we were in some good company. And uh, yeah, definitely kind of an up and down weekend for me, to be honest. Uh, it was really quick in testing. Then I had a shunt in the last session on Friday. Uh, luckily, the team fixed it and uh, qualified on pole for my heat. Won the heat after being under pretty heavy pressure. And then uh, really slipped in the semi on on Sunday went from pole to seventh, which is, which was no fun. Cause every, every person that passes you in the semi, you have to think is pretty much two positions for the final as to where you start. So I ended up 13th on the grid for the final and just kind of charged through and then ended up second is definitely a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, young Mr. Castro um, battled his way up to, well, what we thought was going to be fourth great battle with Jonathan Brown. Um, that you had in the semi-final, uh, and then in the final, uh, your fourth place became third. It means you didn't get to stand on the podium, unfortunately. But have have you got the trophy yet? Yeah, actually, well, Max got the trophy initially, right? Uh, yeah. She was one spot in front of me, so I kind of just we we posted a video on Twitter, kind of making fun of it, and he he put the wreath on me and gave me the trophy. Nice. So that was that was cool. And, and Max doesn't have his trophy I yet. Still don't have it. Yeah. So. Reportedly, it's in Scotland still. Uh, we'll, but, uh, we'll have to make yeah. a, a raid across the border to get it for for, <laughs> for you. All right, so you didn't stand on the on the pro, podium, Andre, but third in the fiftieth Formula Ford Festival. Got to be happy with that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, had a few days in the car before then. One, I had I had one national championship weekend. The last one at Snetterton, and then basically two additional test days before we showed up to Brands. So. It was good to, to pick up the car quickly. Honestly, it was a bit more difficult than I imagined at first, uh, but the learning curve luckily kept kind of going in a sort of linear fashion. Obviously, some days I would take steps and then maybe have not so good session and the next day kind of make up for that. So, you know, through testing, I, I don't think I was as quick as Max and Brands, but when it came down to the, the mixed conditions and quality and the heat and the semi, uh, well, quality was, quality was all right. And then the, the heat and the semi was when, you know, I think I really turned it on a bit. And uh, it was good. It was good to come at the end, uh, clutch like that, and to basically cap off the podium for Team USA. It was really good. And honestly, like we were saying before, it's been pretty flat out since then. Mm. So I haven't even haven't had too much time to reflect on it, if I'm honest. But yeah, talking about it now, honestly, I'm, I'm really grateful for it. Like uh, like Max said, that to be teammates with Jan and and Dennis, and to have Scott Dixon there with us on the last day supporting. You That's know, cool. I had a conversation with him, and he's he was great. So. Um, and you know, have my dad there and Jeremy Shaw and you know everybody. So it it was it was kind of a dream result. Obviously, you you want to be a couple spots better, but uh, but no, I was really satisfied to come over and and be with all these guys who are clearly super super quick at what they do and kind of just battle with them was was really good. You had some bad luck at Silverstone in the Walter Hayes Trophy. Um, 
that is the nature of motor racing. And, of course, on these one-off events, Andrea, you, you, you don't get the opportunity to have another go at it. A bit of disappointment there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially, yeah, I think it took me a day or two to recover. Um, like I said, didn't really have much time to reflect on brands, so it was pretty flat out to Silverstone. And um, just the way everything happened was a bit, you know, kind of getting knocked down little by little. So, to be honest, I think our pace and testing at Silverstone was better than at brands. Yeah. Uh, and then in the heats and and everything just had sort of minor setbacks got got a track limits penalty five second penalty and then uh in my semi got got hit all the way back down to almost last pretty much and came back up to seventh so got some good overtakes but uh and then the final just <clears throat> didn't work out but um hadn't had an issue uh honestly could have been caused by by a mischief that i had but i'm we're not really sure at the moment mm-hmm. so you know i think it's just a couple little things there that you know made were the turning point in the weekend right Whereas yeah. in brands, you know, we had decent pace, uh, but things went right for me, you know, and uh, had had a good luck in the final and was able to get up through there. So it, it's just crazy because, you know, one week you get third and the next the DNF, but <laughs> there really there really wasn't too much difference in terms of, honestly, even in terms of pace, I think we had pretty similar pace at both races. It's just sometimes the, the cookie kind of crumbles in a way that you keep getting knocked down and you can't get back up. So it was, it was unfortunate, but. You know, the plus side was I got to be in the pits as uh, Max came in and he won. So that was a really cool thing to be able to celebrate with him oh, and the team. That, that, that's that's a very classy thing to say and well done for trying to take and taking, not trying to, taking some uh, positives out of it in terms of what went on. Well, as we know now, Max, you uh, were the 2021 Walter Hayes Trophy winner. Fab- I, what, I was listening, should I say, to the, the commentary when you had your semi-final. You and Chris Middlehurst had a fantastic dice. Um, well done. Um, yeah, I, thank I, you. I, I noticed you've already had a, an invitation to come back anytime you want on, on Twitter as a previous winner, and I hope you, you want to do that. Give me a little bit of... of now you've had a couple of days, all right, you've been back in the car, you've had a couple of days. Has it sunk in yet? Uh, almost, I think, but yeah, just I was just super happy for the team. So obviously, it's a team I've been with all year, and we've been very close. We've had pace all year. Third in the championship, and then which we could have won in the last round, is very close to happening. And then second at the festival, which is obviously very close. So to finally seal the deal definitely felt good. Uh, it, it was outstanding, uh, and I know that there's an awful lot of people behind uh, Team USA Scholarship who've been behind it for m- very many years in terms of the financial backers and Jeremy putting all his time in. They were all delighted, as uh, were we, uh, watching on on timing and, and listening uh, to the circuit commentary. Uh, what's next for you, Max? Uh, is that the end of the season here in the UK now? You, you've done a bit of testing, as you were seeing the last couple of days. Yeah, so yeah, it's end, end the Formula Ford for now, at least this year. And uh, yeah, was testing at Silverstone today and yesterday in a GB3, which was uh, known as British F3 in the years past. Is but, that, is that uh, the next step for you? Uh, that's what we're hoping, trying to trying to put a deal together. Not not fully there yet, but I think we're close. So that's the hope for next year. But definitely definitely a lot different than than uh, the Formula Ford at Silverstone. Takes some takes some getting used to. Oh yeah, downforce downforce is a strange <laughs> thing to get used to, even early in your career. Uh, it really is. Well, we wish you the best in that, and and looks like we're not going to get rid of you out of the UK for a, a little while as far as you're racing. And, Andrea, what about you? What's your next step? Now that you're back in the groove, now that you've 
proved to everybody that needed it proving to, possibly even to yourself, that you've still got the pace, you've still got the hunger, quite clearly. Uh, what's your next step? At least, what do you hope? Well, yeah, thanks. I, I mean, in, in a way, yeah, you're right. It's uh, not only to, to everybody else out there, but you know, also to myself, to, to be able to perform in sort of a high, uh, you know, moderately high-pressure environment where there's other people depending on your results and, and watching you. It's uh, definitely special to be able to bring, you know, a good result home. But, yeah, I mean, for me, I don't really have anything lined up for next year yet. It really all depends on uh, on funding and outside stuff. So uh, I kind of have a, a couple of key areas that, uh, that I've identified. Uh, obviously, I, I tested a GB3 here a couple of weeks ago and really loved that. So it'd be, it'd be honestly a dream come true to run that championship and have, a, you know, an ongoing relationship in the States with uh, Legacy Autosport and USF 2000. So they've, They've been great and supported me uh, for for a bit now, and it would be cool to come back to them. But so far, nothing nothing really planned. And uh, you know, actually, the third thing is uh, I've been considering some sports car racing with uh, LMP3 over here in Europe. Oh, cool! Um, but we don't really have that. That's probably the least uh, you know the, the one where I have the least connections. But at the same time, it's something that uh, I've talked to a couple people, and it seems like a really really cool opportunity. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, just hoping to carry this momentum you know it's, it's one thing to believe in yourself but it's another to have really you know like you said tangible evidence you Correct. know really that that you have what it takes so um it now it's just you know talking to people and uh seeing if um you know, if you know anything comes up for next year but obviously i want to carry the, the the positive momentum from that podium and whatever i do next year hopefully we'll have a decent chance to do some good testing and and uh you know a fair shot to, to compete for for the championship that's probably what i would think is my my goal so We'll see. Well, Andre and, and Max, you've represented Team USA, which has such a, a fine history. You've represented them in exemplary manner, both on and off the track. I know that uh, because we all talk to each other. Congratulations on the way you've conducted yourselves out of the cars as much as what you've done on the track. Uh, you've been successful on the track as well, quite clearly, and we wish you both uh, from everybody here at Midweek Motorsport, we wish you both all the best in the future. And keep us in touch with what's going on, won't you? Max, Andre, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us. Thank you, John. We'll keep you posted for sure. Thank you so much. Uh, just a quick reminder that tomorrow at 8 o'clock, it's Simcast here on RS1. That's followed by On The Grid at 9. And we've got plenty of live motorsport for you across the weekend on RS1. On Friday, Saturday and Sunday, the Race of Remembrance live from Anglesey. Paul Truswell, the uh, man leading us through that, while John is joined by Jeremy. Sound of vision. Sound of vision as well. Uh, yes, sound of vision uh, for everything. Yeah. Uh, John is joined by Jeremy and Shay for uh, Petit Le Mans, uh, which is on Saturday for the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. But we have two practice sessions and qualifying before that. We've got qualifying and the race for the final round of the Michelin Pilot Challenge and we have three races from the Porsche Carrera Cup in North America and two from the Mazda MX-5 Cup or is it three yeah. for them as well? No, I think it's only two. I don't think we. I don't think my my heart rate, my cardiac uh, health is not good enough to have three in a weekend for the Edemitsu Mazda MX-5. Picture of the Mazas on track earlier um, yes. with the message, they're very loud. 
<laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while. And speaking about Porsche Carrera Cup North America, presented by Visit Cayman Island, stay tuned here as in a moment or two's time, we're going to find out who knows most about Porsche brand uh, from the three championship contenders, Sebastian Prior, Kai van Berlo, the two Kelly Moss Roden race teammates, and Parker Thompson from JDX Racing, battling for the championship this weekend. But far more importantly, battling for so you think you know Porsche, or, as Michael Denny says, Porkers or Porkies. I really wish we'd thought of that before. Really wish. Thanks to all of our guests tonight. Uh, good luck to everybody who's competing in the Race of Remembrance uh, at the weekend. And thanks to all of you for tweeting. Been a busy show with breaking news on that Porsche WEC situation. So that leaves Ferrari to be crowned champions unless the WEC decide otherwise. We'll be back next week with all of the build up to the Sebring 24 hours and Nick will be reporting live from Florida stay tuned more good stuff coming up this evening right here on RS1 but for the time being there's no time to explain because the llama is very excited about live racing this weekend this program is a radio show limited production for more subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts